Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan. Today we'll be covering the last seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Hello, Gavin. Howdy doody. Also on the show today, uh, we have once again Yuan Ming Chao. Uh, he is the social media editor at the China Post. Yuan Ming, good to have you back. That's nice to be back. And given ICRTs and the, the China Posts, uh, our recent sort of team up together, uh, I, I will give you this opportunity now to uh, plug a certain app that you guys are rolling out. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, well, we're really excited to announce the launch of the China Post app. And uh, it's a news app that's now available on the app, the app Store and also on the Google Play Store. And uh, we invite our, our readers to download it and uh, use it to keep in touch with the latest news in Taiwan. So uh, we invite you to download it today, and we're really excited about it. There we go, China Post on the go. All right, and uh, joining us through Skype all the way from California, we have with us also today, Che Tingye of Ketagalan Media. Uh, Ting, haven't had you on the show in forever, so I'm glad to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back, although I don't have anything to plug for today, unfortunately. <laughs> all right, you should have come prepared, but we'll, we'll forgive that. On the show today, Uber has ceased operations in Taiwan, but they are not going quietly. Then the long-expected Thai cabinet reshuffle has finally come to pass. So, got four new big bonds leading the executive yuan. But after the reshuffle, have we been dealt a full house, or are they about to get flushed? Then we've got like a whole bunch of little stories, like a whole bunch. Uh, we've got a diplomatic spat with Cambodia. We've got gangster goings-on in the KMT chairmanship electioneering. Uh, we've got a new trainer aircraft for anyone who likes shiny things that go real fast. And uh, we're maybe looking at water rationing again later this year, although I certainly hope not. So clearly, uh, we have just a whole bunch of stuff to get through today. But before we even get to our main business, uh, I'm going to tack on yet another update to the beginning of the show. The ban on animal euthanasia at public animal shelters in Taiwan finally came into effect this week. Uh, last Saturday, in fact, an amendment was, pa uh, was put into effect to the Animal Protection Act uh, that bans animal shelters from putting down unclaimed stray animals. Uh, before, the way the system worked is an animal would be put into the shelter, given 12 days, uh, you know, public notice would be put up, uh, people would be given an opportunity to claim that animal, hopefully that animal gets adopted, but if that animal is not adopted after 12 days, uh, then the shelter may put that animal down. That is no longer an option for these shelters, uh, and the fact that it is no longer an option for these shelters has raised uh, concerns among some ad uh, animal welfare rights advocates because these shelters are still on the hook uh, to take in an animal whenever, uh, well, under a lot of different sets of circumstances. You know, for example, if somebody in the community uh, flags an animal and says this animal is a threat to our community, the shelter uh, is still on the hook for bringing that animals in. So. The supply of animals is staying the same, uh, but the capacity is not growing. And uh, without euthanasia, there's a lot of concerns that we will see an awful lot of overcrowding. So, this measures is to support the policy was the phrase they used. There are there are insufficient measures to support the ban on euthanasia policy. That's exactly, what environmental groups have been saying. Exactly, so there is concern that there will be more stray animals, regardless of how widespreadly popular amongst the public the policy not to top animals is. 
Uh, Exactamundo. So no topping of animals. Uh, and, and those uh, measures that Gavin just mentioned would be stuff like uh, increasing the adoption rate of animals and making uh, it easier for families to, uh, or, you know, encouraging families uh, to bring home more of these uh, wayward stray dogs. How can you say they're wayward? Just because it doesn't make them ornery animals, does it? Now we have another... I, a nascent animal welfare advocate right in the oh, studio, yeah. Gavin I Phipps. Like, I had no idea. On plates. I have a great jolly time with animals on plates. Also, getting back to the serious things, environmental groups and animal welfare people will have said that they also the government needs to step up sterilization programs. Mm, yeah, so that would be the spaying and neutering, uh, which interests... Ouch. Yeah, ouchy kamouchy right there. Uh, but... Uh, actually, a lot of uh, folks in Taiwan oppose that as well. So there's another area for education that uh, a lot of welfare advocates are, are saying is needed as well. So, uh, again, this is something that we've talked about a lot on the show, so we're not going to belabor the point. Just wanted to make the note that this is a thing we've talked about, and it is now in effect, and now we have to see how it goes. But we're going to leave that for today and move on to the main event. If you cracked open your Uber ride-hailing app today... You would have been in for a mean surprise, Gavin, because uh, for now at least, they have suspended services here in Taiwan, effective this morning. They have, yes. I don't have an Uber app on my phone, so I haven't checked that. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, I've only used Uber three times. But Uber has suspended its services from today in Taiwan. This, of course, is related to a staggering 1.1 billion NT in fines that the company has received since January the 6th when amendments to the Highways Act went through and took effect. Now, to go with the suspension of services today by Uber, apparently some 500 Uber drivers are taking to the streets of Taipei, and they say that they plan to protest outside the Ministry of Transport building. They'll be sitting... They're having a sit-in. They're saying some of the drivers will be having a sit-in. Ironic for a taxi driving (laughs) service. While other drivers, though, apparently will be driving round the Ministry of Transport building in protest in their vehicles. drive-in. Driving driving round in circles. Mm -hmm. An annoying circle to do if you know where the Ministry of Transport building is in Taipei, because Mm -hmm. it's not just a little circle. It's a bit of an annoying weird oblong way you've got to go round it. Jiggity. That's a good way to put it. There you go. They're going to be driving around the building. Also, the head of the, I believe it's called the I've got to find it now. There we go. The Taiwan Uber Drivers Alliance. Mm -hmm. a chap called Adam Shen. He says that they hope to have some 500 of their drivers in the protest today. And he also says that they plan to deliver a petition to Transport Minister He Chen Dan calling on the government to legalise the ride-hailing service, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is the issue with Uber here because it's illegal. And also, this Shen chap warned that if today's petition is ignored by the government, his alliance of Uber drivers could be forced to expand the scope of their protests. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. So this is this is all pretty interesting because it supports an argument that Uber Taiwan has been making for some time now. They are basically arguing that you need to not just take into account the rights of the taxi drivers, but also potential Uber drivers, because there are a lot of people that depend on the income that they get from driving Uber, either full-time or as a small supplement uh, to whatever other job they might have uh, driving part-time. Uh, So that's what Uber has been saying for a while now. Apparently, these 500 purported drivers that might show up uh, agree with that argument. Uh, Well, they should, shouldn't they? They've got nothing else to do, have they? 
Uh, apparently. And we, <laughs> they've got nothing. They'll be laid off, haven't they, from today, been, technically. You know, there you go. Well, Uber is not an employer. That's at least their argument. So laid off, well, that's, that's, we could quibble that, over that, those that, terms. That is the big argument. That is the it? big so, argument. Well, uh, we should also make a note, uh, of course, that this is one of the cases where we run into the problem of we record this show before it broadcasts. So all of this stuff, by the time this broadcast has come to pass... Will have happened. Will have happened. Also something that happened this week, an interesting quote from the former National Development Council Minister, Guan Zhongming, who's quite a well-respected chap. He has actually said, despite all this barahoo about Uber, he doesn't believe Uber will completely cease operating here in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. But he did he did say that if Uber can ensure that it, de- it, it it adheres to public safety, transportation and tax laws, he believes the company can continue to operate here. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Ting, you are out there in California. You you, you have surrounded yourself, I believe, uh, with many techie-type people. How how much sympathy do you have for this techie enterprise here in Taiwan, Uber? Um, Actually, personally, I don't have much sympathy for Uber at all. Um, So, I mean, Uber gets regulated. They fought these battles, um, you know, whether they're a taxi company, whether they're employer or whether they're just a platform that connects people that happen to, you know, have cars and people who happen to need a ride. Um, and, and I think it's pretty clear that Uber operates as a taxi service. And so they should be regulated, regulated as such, right? And they fought this battle in many other jurisdictions and have lost and have paid the fines and operate as a taxi, you know, operate under the same conditions as or, you know, modify conditions as other, you know, taxi services. So I don't see why Taiwan should not do the same. There's actually been a lot of... Sorry, there's actually been a lot of debate about this on the interweb. In fact, if you type in Uber Taiwan in Google News Search, for example... You'll find lots of sort of op-ed pieces from various publications from all over the world, Europe and America, for example, that actually... Some of them are supportive of the way Taiwan's government has cracked down on Uber, while others question whether Taiwan's government actually went too far. So it's, it's become a bit of an international topic in a sort of way. There we go. People are talking about us. Always exciting. Uh, Yuan Ming, do you have anything to toss in here? Well, just to add to that, I mean, um, if you look at the example of Vancouver and Austin, where those local governments also um, cracked down, they, they required um, background checks um, or and um and just to go back on what uh ting said earlier i think that um this argument with the customer side um uh, may be valid but but if you if you if you consider that their argument uber's argument about innovation um we should also consider the argument of does innovation uh can innovation be done with fairness you know um as a service, Uber should pay the required taxes, and um, it should contribute to um, the public safety net that we have here in Taiwan. Yeah. Hmm. Well, not much sympathy for Uber this week, eh? <laughs> Usually at least one of our guests has sympathy for Uber. Yeah, well, uh, we, we, Ross's uh, ghost is hanging over this whole conversation. I'm sure that he would have some nice things to say about them. Of course, Uber hasn't actually said how long it's going to suspend its services for in Taiwan. There's no, there's not going to, we're going to spend it for one week, two weeks, three weeks. That's the big question mark. So Sod's Law says by the time this show airs, or if you're listening to it next Monday, (laughs) Uber could already be re-operating here in Taiwan. The swell of support that they saw on the streets today convinced them to head back into the market. I'm just wondering how much public support there is for Uber drivers. 
Yeah. Well, it's just another interest group at the end of the day. Just another interest group, one among many. Well, you see, my point is yellow cabs. You have yellow cab drivers all united, became a big yellow cab Taiwan union, and they went on strike. A lot of public angst and a lot of public support would go out because there's a lot of them. And people use a lot more of than 20,000, yeah. And so how much public support does Uber get? Is my, that, that's, that's what I'm interested to see here. How right. this protest goes today, what happens next week, and how public support is here for Uber. Well, we are running this test in real time, so we will find out soon. Very quick point I'm going to make before we move on to our next story. The government's response to Uber is also rolling out this year. They're calling it the Diversified Taxi Service Program. This is basically just a more regulated version of Uber services that is being sponsored by the government. So the idea would be uh, the companies that already have their own taxis, for example, Taiwan Taxi, Uh, They can develop their own apps. They can operate under slightly less stringent uh, regulations and uh, offer a more diverse variety of taxi services. They may want to offer taxis of different colors, or they may want to offer taxis that are a little bit higher end. This week, uh, Taiwan Taxi, some of the management at that group said, even with some of the loosening regulations under this program, They're still running into some obstacles, not being able to do some things that they would want to do. For example, they don't want meters in some of their high-end cars. They argue if they're going to have an app anyway and the payments are going to go through the app, why bother with meters? So it's kind of interesting, you know, as Uber is out there kind of protesting, even the local taxi companies are saying, you know, there's some room for adjustment of some of these regulations and we want to operate under a somewhat new regime. So... Anyway, it's a complicated story. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about it as the year unfolds. Uh, of course, if Uber stays out of it, though, story just got a little bit simpler. But moving on real quick, we've got a, a bunch of like little quick ones that we want to bang out. Uh, Gavin, there is some controversy going on with uh, the Taiwan Railway Association. This goes back to a little bit of protest that we saw over the Lunar New Year in which a number of uh, TRA employees didn't show up for work. They said that it was within their right to not show up for work over a holiday. The company disagrees, is planning to punish them. But this week, uh, despite the fact that uh, the company is still planning to punish them, they might concede to one of the uh, protesters' main demands, which is uh, getting more employees in the company. Yeah, the Taiwan Railway Union, well, between 350 and 370 of its union members went on strike on February the 3rd, which was, of course, Lunar New Year week. Mm -hmm. And they went on strike because for a long time they've been saying that the Taiwan Railway's administration is that big manpower shortage. They don't have enough staff to cover all the trains, all the work. It's not just trains, of course. It's station staff, back, you know, state railways staff, basically. They do numerous jobs for the railway administration. And the union says, we don't have enough staff to cover all these jobs. So they've been going on. They, they took strike action last week uh, over this. Uh, the Taiwan Railways Administration didn't look too kindly on this strike action and said we're going to take um, basically disciplinary action against some of the members and some of them could face the sack over basically the t- the railway company says some of these people didn't actually apply for leave before they took the strike action and walked off the job. Mm. The union says, hang on a minute, all our members applied for leave before they walked off the job. They then called on the government to support their argument against the Taiwan Railways Administration. Sadly, the government turned around and said, no, we're supporting the Taiwan Railways Administration here because the government 
said basically you took strike action and caused major disruption and concern to the public over the Lunar New Year holiday. I was about, pretty concerned. Were you about, concerned, about, 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 Ming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of concern from the public. Well, yeah. it was about scheduling, transport schedules. Yeah. People have to get home, people go away. They want, you know, if there's a strike, they want to know if they're going to be affected getting home and so on and so forth. This is what the government came out and said on Wednesday and on Thursday of this week, the government sort of seemed to weaken on this in a sort of way, saying that the cabinet is planning to take steps to address concerns of manpower shortages in the Taiwan Railways Administration and the government is going to allow the rail company to employ 300 more personnel. Now, Transport Minister He Chen Dan has said that his office has submitted a proposal to the cabinet now to increase the number of railway employees by 3,000 over the next three to five years. Of course, this is all well and good, but the railway union is still up in arms about the Taiwan Railways Administration saying it's going to discipline its members for taking strike action. And they're still calling on the government to support that. They did yesterday. There was mm-hmm. a big protest outside the Ministry of Transport. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty interesting, like I said, you know, they're not, they're still getting punished, but it looks like TRA is conceding to one of their key demands. Uh, and if they do get more workers working those trains uh, in the TRA. Uh, This could mean that uh, the workers that are already on the payroll will have fewer hours that they'll have to work and they'll face uh, less overtime. Uh, You want me real quick before we move on? Yeah, I just wanted to add one point was that um, uh, besides the the added personnel um, condition that the workers are are fighting for, um, there's also the, 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 the issue of their three shift system right now that's being, been quite controversial, and um, the the workers are saying that um, this three shift system prevents them from having real personal life or time with their their families, and so they also want uh, to negotiate with uh, TRA about this issue. And this, plus the personnel issue, has been on, ongoing uh, labor. Uh, issue that the Thai administration has to face. And some people are saying that the Thai administration has kind of a double standard with how they're dealing with TRA versus what they're dealing, how they dealt with the China Airlines strike uh, mm. earlier in 2016. Mm. Right. Well, there's also some questions about whether these TRA employees are government employees and therefore civil servants. Uh, so the, the, the three shift rule, that would be uh, just how their hours are distributed? Yeah, well, the three shift system, um, they, um, they, like the train conductors, um, some of them have to, because uh, the TRA has to be operating 24 hours, you know, with maintenance mm-hmm. uh, in operation. Um, but it also means that some people have to work uh, night shifts, mm-hmm. and then they only have a few hours of rest before starting another day shift. Mm. So... Um, it's quite, uh, their, their argument is quite tiring. Burning the candle at both ends right there. That was right. Their argument was they only get 12 hours rest between shifts, which is not an entire day off. That is not an entire day off. No, no, it's that 12 is, hours. That is a good point. All right. Well, that is about all the transport news you can use for one week, so we're going to move on to politics. And, well, it had to happen sooner or later. We've got the first cabinet reshuffle of the Thai administration. Four ministers got the boot, which means... Four new ones came in, and we've got four new names and faces to get acquainted with. So, Gavin, uh, help us get acquainted. <laughs> this, if you miss this one, I'll understand why. Anyway, the cabinet announced the reshuffle, of course, on February the 3rd. The reason it was missed, of course, is because February the 3rd came at the end of the Lunar New Reality, and most of the people were still on holiday. Clearly, the administration... A subtle time to reshuffle your cabinet without everyone going, woo, because <laughs> everyone was going, woo, party, holiday. <laughs> Quite clever, really, if you think about it. 
There you go. Anyway, the reshuffle saw the appointment of Yilan County Magistrate Lin Zong Shen as head of the Council of Agriculture. Deputy Education Minister Chen Liang Ji was appointed Minister of Science and Technology. Former Health former Minister, rather, without portfolio, Lin Mei Chu was appointed as Labour Minister, and former Deputy Health Minister Chen Shi Zhong took over the post as the Minister of Health and Welfare. Now, here we go. We've got some quotes from them when they, they were sworn in on Wednesday, in fact. And Lin Mei Chu, who, of course, I said was going to become the new Labour minister, she said she'll strive to seek a balance between the best interests of employees and employers to ensure sustainable economic growth. The new health minister, that being Chen Shijong, came out and said that he will push for reforms in the new generation national health insurance program. Mm-hmm. While the new Minister of Science and Technology, Chen Liangji, said that he had three goals after he assumes office, and these include enhancing academic and research performance and also promoting industrial technology innovation. That's what they said. Wow. Inspiring words uh, in the mouth of Gavin. Other people said other things, except, again, it was a rather subdued sort of look at the new cabinet, even from the opposition, Mm -hmm. I believe. The new health minister came under fire, asking if he knew what it... If he knew what he was talking about, that's a big, big paraphrase. And I'm sorry if this Mr. Chen Shijong is that and thinks I'm being rude. I'm not. The KMT turned around and asked whether Chen is capable of doing the job in a, a way that his predecessor couldn't have done. Mm-hmm. I'm hinting at there. And, of course, the minister without portfolio, Lin Mei Chu, also came under some question. She is, of course, the cousin of President Tsai Ing-wen. And, and, well, and her ability to actually work with labour unions as the labour minister. Yeah, she apparently doesn't really have a strong background in labour specifically. I, I think, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, her background is more in law. Um and so there's some questions about whether or not, you know, obviously labor issues have been huge uh, over the last year and will continue to be huge. And so there's some questions about whether she's the right person for the job. It's sort of like that Sarah Palin scenario. She could see Russia from her house window, yeah? Th- th- apparently she went to work. Ah, uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, you know, she's seen the inside of an office. She knows what it looks like. Uh, Ting, what, what, what are your thoughts on this, on the significance of this change overall? Of course, I mean, there's been speculation for a long time that there's going to be some big shakeup in at the cabinet level. Um, folks have been saying that there would need to be some changes to signal that, you know, uh, Tsai Ing-wen is taking some of the challenges she's faced seriously. So are these changes substantive or, you know, are we really just shifting name cards? Um, I actually don't know um i think it remains to be seen whether um it's substantive i want to say though um i think most of the opinion that i uh sort of think is out there is about um whether the cabinet is doing its job primarily right so um basically they're looking to the premier to see if the premier is actually pushing through the president's agenda um, and I think there um, there are there are some opinions where you know that's not happening, and I think there are calls, especially with the more um, sort of the more fundamental supporters of the DPP, saying, okay, you know, we need to change, we need to basically um, swap premiers. Um, just a sort of frame of reference, um, the first premier under the Chen Shui-bian um, administration, uh, Tang Fei, basically um, he left. Uh, he basically resigned um, in October, and the first uh, premier under um, Ma Ying-jeou, Liu Daoxuan, resigned in uh, November. 
So um, I think Lin Quan, if you compare in, you know, if you compare that to that time frame, he's already outlasted, you know, the other, you know, first premiers of first term presidents. Um, so you know, I, I think there, I think there is something system uh, systemic going on here. Um, whether or not, um, you know, people who vote in the new, uh, a new administration expect. You know, kind of the, the the speed or the efficiency at which you know they expect these new reforms to take place. Um, you know, and I think, um, yeah, and I I really do hope that um, you know these new changes will you know actually we'll actually see actual policy changes coming out of these new uh, cabinet changes. Uh, Yuan Ming, uh, what do you see here? Yeah,、um, I just remember within a few months,、um, reporters we were asking、uh, when the the cabinet was going to be reshuffled. Was he going to resign? Blah blah blah.、Um, but then, you know, if you're looking at the、uh, the opinion polls, especially the ones uh, uh, taken by Pan Green groups such as the、uh, Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation, the one、uh, late, the latest one in January, you know, the the cabinet's approval rating was twenty seven point two percent. Yikes! Seventy、um, percent of the people disapproved of economic performance of the、uh, cabinet. Fifty six point two percent were、uh, disapproving of the new labor amendments on the work week, and so、um, a lot of people. Were, I think this adjustment, these little minor musical chairs, you know, this was, you know. To placate、um, people within the Pan Green,、um, and but I think it remains to be seen, of course,、um, how these minor adjustments. I think within the party's inner circle, how they will、um, will they meet public expectations? Of course, it's it's still too early to tell.、Yeah. Wasn't the premier's support rating down to below thirty percent in the last poll? Yeah, yeah. it was twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, they're up against quite a lot there. Of course, one of the criticisms that has long been made of the folks that President Tsai has chosen to work with is that they are too old, too male, and too blue.、Um, and some folks on the DPP side are saying that this change didn't do enough to address those concerns.、Uh, so I guess we're just going to have to see. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical that、uh, name changes like this are actually going to make any kind of a difference. So、uh, we are going to have to see how this all turns out. But、uh, we have another story that we want to get to before we hit the break, so we're going to have to get to it. Moving on to the international front,、uh, this next one is kind of a genre piece, you know, a particular genre that we see more and more in Taiwan news. That being, foreign country X is a jerk to Taiwan over nonsense issue Y on China's behalf.、Uh, of course, you know, for example, just a month ago,、uh, country X was Nigeria. Nonsense issue Y、uh, was where Taiwan can put its trade offices. They said not the capital. This week, country X is Cambodia, and nonsense issue Y is Taiwan's flag, which they have some taken some issue with. Gavin, yes, Cambodia's Prime Minister Hun Sen said that the flying of the ROC flag anywhere in his country will be banned. This is, of course, due to Cambodia's adherence to the One China policy. There you go. Simple as that, really. Simple as that. And the government, when questioned about it, didn't actually sort of slag off Cambodia or the country's prime minister, and simply said, "Well, there you go. We're devoted to safeguarding peace and stability in the Asia Pacific region, and Taiwan is willing to establish friendly and cooperative relations with countries in the region, including Cambodia, and that policy has not changed." 
He did. He did explicitly cite the One China policy, though. In he making... did, though. But he also said that Taiwan, that the Cambodia follows the One China policy, and while it's banned the flying of the ROC flag, this is called Hun Sen in Phnom Penh. He said that basically Cambodia is still open to Taiwanese businessmen doing business there. It's mm. a flag issue. So it uh, seems like, at least, a fairly symbolic issue still open to Taiwan's business. Speaking of Taiwan's business. Uh, of course, as we talked about a whole bunch of times on the show, uh, Tsai Ing-wen is still working on her southbound policy. And, uh, well, if I've uh, looked at a map recently, Cambodia is sort of south-ish. So, uh, Ting, does this tell us anything about the prospects for Tsai Ing-wen's southbound policy? My feeling is that this is more of a uh, diplomatic gesture, um, you know, more than anything else. I mean, I, I think business is going to be business, although... Um, you know, I think Cambodia um, has been more uh, China-friendly um, than some of the other Southeast Asian countries. Um, I, I, I just, I think this just kind of reminds me of, um, you know, when we, when people in Taiwan think of southbound pol- like policy, right? They think of well, Southeast Asia, right, as a whole, right? But you know, there's, there's different markets, there's different um, countries with different political, you know, situations, and I think. Um, it's uh, it, when people talk about the southbound policy, you know, I think it's it goes much deeper than just oh well, you know, it's going to be an alternative to China, right? And I think there's a lot of um, things that you know people, I I don't think you know really is part of the discussion in Taiwan just yet. Yeah, um, I just want to draw on um, uh, what Ting said earlier with. Um uh, just to contextualize this thing, because we can, of course, view this as continued pressure from Beijing, or you know, current cross-strait relations being you know at an impasse. But uh, Cambodia has long uh, supported China. Um, they've had very close ties. Uh, Hun Sen is an outspoken ally of China, and um, two issues um, can we can, uh, demonstrate this? Um, Cambodia has been, you know, very supportive of China's South China Sea claims. And back um, when the DPP was pushing the uh, um, UN for Taiwan movement, uh, Cambodia was one of the most vocal in opposition uh, with, uh, I believe, North Korea. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, this is a long-standing. You know, the the Beijing Cambodian ties are, are are strong, and this is just a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to remember Beijing's got its grubby paws all over Southeast Asia. Cambodia, Laos, Thailand. Grubby paws, your words. Gavin's words right there. It's uh, recently cleaned paws, I imagine. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Who knows? All right. So uh, that's pretty much everything we can say about that story, as it is a story. A version of that story seems to come up every couple of months these days. But before we hit the break, a real quick thing I want to reflect on for a second. Uh, Gavin, do you remember last week we discussed uh, President Tsai's Happy Lunar New Year tweet? Uh, There was a bit of a controversy over that when uh, she made the tweet in English and Japanese, and some folks were saying, why not Chinese? You remember this conversation we had? Vaguely. Okay. Remembering back a whole week, I do remember that you can't get Twitter in China, but Chinese people were complaining about it. 
Accurate. That was accurate. the important part of that the story. That was an important part of the story. Another important part of the story uh, was when Ross chimed in, uh, making his own, uh, I would say, suggestion to the president that perhaps uh, instead what she could have done is tweeted out in many different languages, you know, given the southbound policy. Uh, why limit yourself to just English and uh, Japanese? There's uh, many uh, regional partners that you could brown nose a little bit, grease the wheels a little bit, use their language as well. Why not? Well, maybe, just maybe, President Tsai was listening because uh, Tsai responded to the news this week that Taiwan has been uh, seen a record high number of foreign visitors in 2016 with yet another tweet. Uh, so just to cover that bit of news real quick, apparently uh, the new numbers show that foreign visitors overall were up uh, quite, uh, I think, 2.4% year on year, uh, despite the fact that Chinese visitors were down substantially. So, a uh, bit of good news there for Tsai Ing-wen. She tweeted about it. Uh, and in her tweet, she tweeted, More people visited Taiwan in 2016 than ever. Uh, which she, uh, And then in addition, she uh, also wrote, Thank you in Japanese, Korean, Thai, Indonesian, Tagalog, Vietnamese, and Hindi. And also in simplified Chinese. So a bit of an olive branch there as well. Uh, I hope she got experts to say congrats. I, I, I hope she didn't Google. Yeah, right? Translate I hope it was a Google Translate. Different languages, yeah. I, if, if any of our listeners are familiar with the tweet and familiar with any of those uh, languages, please let us know. I'm very <laughs> curious if she got that all right, because that, that would be a tall order. And if she does have the staff to make sure that she got that all right, then that's a good sign. Yeah, she might, she, what, what languages did she do it again? We saw Japanese, Korean, Thai, Indonesian, Tagalog, Vietnamese, and Hindi. Yeah, I mean, she could have. If the Hindi was a mistake, she should have. She could have said, "I like your grandmother's sweaty socks," or something. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, it's, it's 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 entirely possible, and I would not know not being a Hindi speaker myself. So anyway, uh, I'm just going to speculate wildly and say that uh, they tore that page right out of the Ross Feingold playbook. Who knows? Could be. Influence in high places. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, I, I'm more than willing to take credit where credit is not due. That is going to have to be it for the first half of the show, though. When we return, we've got Gangsters in Politics, uh, some new planes that will be rolling off the shelves in the mid-2020s, uh, get preemptively stoked, and uh, drought. Another drought to talk about. So uh, a lot to look forward to when we return to Taiwan this week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Yuan Ming Chao, and Jay Tingye. Uh, interesting little bit of political news this week. There is a potential... Uh, let's not jump to any conclusions, but a potential attempt to stuff the voter rolls in the upcoming KMT chairmanship election. Uh, KMT is on something of a membership drive ahead of the election. So, of course, uh, new names, new faces in the ranks should come as no surprise. But alarm bells began to ring when it turned out that a whole bunch of those new faces belonged to gangsters, like uh, a whole bunch of actual gangsters, Gavin. Yes, apparently the KMT now says it is stepping up the screening of applications for party membership following reports that 300 known gang members or individuals with links to organised crime actually applied to become members of the party. How did those guys get in here? Via its Taipei branch. So they, now, weren't, they, they didn't just apply, they were sponsored. Well, they were sponsored. Now, what, what, what sent alarm bells ringing was when the name Wan Xiao Jung popped up. Now, this chap is basically free at the moment, 
but he's basically facing charges of involvement in the killing of an off-duty police officer in 2014. Well, the, a very high-profile killing that happened, I think, outside it, in the Shinny District. Trendy bar in the Shinny District in and Taipei. It involved police, like a mob of people a mob and of gangsters. People, basically, and very high-profile. Basically, anyway, of course, all this came to light about the KMT and its supposed organised crime connection to new members, because on January the 30th was the deadline to apply for KMT membership in order to be eligible to vote in the May 20th leadership election. Mm-hmm. Now, it transpires, of course, that an apology was made later this week when KMT Taipei City Councillor Ye Lin Chuan came out and he did apologise for this and he said, well, an investigation into claims found that Huang Shouling... His office director. Basically, had been in violation of the KMT's charter by submitting membership applications on behalf of unqualified persons. Mm. I do like that. They say unqualified persons. Now, Ye went on to say that he had not personally reviewed any of Huang's applications because he simply thought that other party officials would screen the membership applications. Which is understandable enough in a sort of I didn't do it way. Now, he went on to say that he requested. Definitely throwing his office director under the well, he, he went he went further than that, of course, because he said, I've now requested that my boss withdraw from the KMT's May 20th leadership election, where she had been seeking to run as a representative candidate. Mm-hmm. She hasn't said anything. So the, Stum, the, basically, nothing. Uh, so the speculation, if I understand this correctly, is that Huang Xiaoling... Uh, was trying to ang- basically get more friendly faces on the rolls so that she could improve her position. To run in a representative role as a representative candidate in the May 20th election. Mm-hmm. It's not just the May 20th election is OK, it's the chairmanship election. That's all anyone cares about in the big scheme of things. But there's other elections going on on that day for other roles and departments and, pot- and positions within the KMT. Okay. And a representative candidate is someone who's up for election to be a representative for the KMT. So if you're going to stuff the roles with grotty gangsters, at least don't stuff it with the grottiest of gangsters, I guess. But my question is, how did she know these people? That is a decent question. Is a decent... I don't know. Is, is there some like uh, uh, personal's website that you can find similar folk on? <laughs> Mobsters.com. <laughs> Rentamobster.com. Or jobsforthemob.com. There you go. If you have, I like jobs for the mob. Jobs I think we just mo- if someone patents that, it's my idea. Jobsforthemob.com <laughs> is my that's mine. You're not having that. We are just full of ideas what on was this show. Also interesting this week was um, the former KMT or the, the current KMT vice chairman and former type of mayor Halon Bin came out. <laughs> And he said that alleged attempts by organised crime to influence the outcome of the May chairmanship election are harmful to the party's image. Mm. Nothing... Good one there, Sherlock, eh? That's <laughs> that's a no-brainer. Mm. And he also called on the KMT to thoroughly vet any would-be members before validating their membership. Mm-hmm. Now, prior to Howe's comments, um, former KMT vice chairman Steve Jan, who is, of course, like Howe, running for party membership on May the 20th, he also warned that individuals with links to organised crime are seeking party membership and the motives behind any applications should be thoroughly checked as well. He also came out and said, well, basically, reports of individuals with alleged links to organised crime seeking party membership tarnishes the KMT's image and is unlikely to result in the party regaining any form of public trust. Hmm. All right. Uh, Yuan Ming, have you been watching these events unfold? Yeah. Um, well, clearly... Um when Party Central uh, made the statement um, that uh, 
no one would need to be uh, punished within the party about this. I think um, they were trying to, you know, they were doing their damage and control. You know, they said they respected the the decision of the Taipei City Councilor uh, in the decision that he made to uh, to Huang. Um, but I think this, you know, this whole issue points to the difficulty the party faces in 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 coalescing around an issue that actually matters in the the chairmanship election, and they've been put on the defensive, and they're doing damage control here. And um, it remains to be seen whether or not they can move past this. Mm. That is interesting. That's a good point, actually. None of the candidates in this election have actually come out and said any substantive things about what their policies are. Yeah. We can guess what their policies are. A couple of them have come out and said, I will run for the president in 2020 or I will not run for the president in 2020. But that's like, that's a weird thing for an entire campaign to be decided they've also, on. They've also been more concerned about getting support from certain KMT big bods like Maing Joe. Mm-hmm. Basically, in Jason Hu, of course, and various other people who these candidates think if he supports me, her, she supports me, I'll get votes. They actually haven't come out and said, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Who? Yeah, one of them, I forget who it was, just basically asserted that Maing Joe supports me, and Maing Joe kind of politely demanded. Two of them have done that. Yeah. They will remain nameless, <laughs> for liable purposes. Well, I mean, they're, they're even going back so far to, you know, uh, invoke. You know whether they were favored to Jiang Jingguo and all this other stuff, right? So, I think the problem with the KMT, you know, as a whole, is that um, I mean they really haven't had, they really have, they really haven't really stood for anything other than, you know, let's not rock the boat, let's be, you know, and and I I think you know the they claim to hold on to this central sort of identity as. You know they have this uh, this this whole theory about you know them being China, but you know I I think it's really hard to convince anybody in Taiwan to believe their ideology these days, and so you know I think they've basically been the party of you know let's not actually take a stand as long as everybody makes money right, and you know the problem is people weren't making money, and that's why they got voted out of office right, and so I think. Right now, it is really up to somebody at the party to say, you know what, let's actually stand for something, you know, whatever it is, you know, be it anti, you know, anti-progressive values, be it conservative, you know, you know, social values, be it, you know, open markets, be it, you know, let's just, you know, I, I, think, I think they need to, you know, tell the public what they really stand for. Right. Yeah, and I think that we saw a lot of uh, examples of that just in terms of the sorts of criticism that, we're, that we've seen from Hong Shouju criticizing the DPP for on, on, on issues that basically when the KMT was in power, they were on taking the same stance as the DPP. We especially saw that in the labor issue. Uh, Yuan Ming, do you, is, is that a fairly fair assessment of the KMT, you think, that we just heard there? I think uh, Ting's right in many respects is that the, um, the KMT does not really have a core issue beyond supporting the 1992 consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's also facing the fact that, as you mentioned before, the DPP is continuing a lot of uh, policies just in an- another name. Mm-hmm. And so they can't automatically just support that. Um, they and But while criticizing that, they're shooting themselves in the foot. So um, I agree with Ting in, in the fact that the the KMT needs to be vocal about uh, several core issues, and it cannot just be 
opposing for the sake of opposition. Yeah. Mm. All right. So we're going to wrap up that political discussion right there. Uh, see how the KMT race shapes up as we get closer to it. It's uh, May 20th, Gavin, is when the chairmanship election is going to occur. Well, it is now, but it could change, of course, because, of course, they changed it in the first place That's true. a couple of months ago. So, you know, who knows? It's the thing about party rules. They get to be set by the party. Uh, so uh, we will uh, keep an eye on that. But up next, uh, military matters broke into the news this week. In fact, the Ministry of National Defense is moving forward with the plan to build new supersonic trainer aircraft. But eager pilots are going to need to wait a while to take their first flight because uh, they're not slated to finally finish production until, uh, I think, the mid-2020s, Gavin. 2026. 2026. That's when all 66 of these aircraft will be delivered. Mm-hmm. However, the Air Force signed an agreement this week with the Zhongshan Institute of Science and Technology, that's the state arms manufacturer, and AIDC. AIDC, of course, Taijong-based company that built the IDF in the late 80s, mid-90s. Now, they signed an agreement to, to build 66 advanced training aircraft, and they're going to be called the XT-5 Blue Magpie Trainers at the moment. That's what they're going to be called. Magpies. Blue Magpies, yeah. Are, are all the- and, they, and they say that they're going to be the first trainer aircraft. Prototype will be completed by 2019, and the first test flights will begin in 2020. I don't know enough about birds, I think. Is magpie is a magpie a bird that would strike fear into your heart? Is that a, is that a fear-inducing bird? Nobody else knows? Okay. All right. Minor training. Point. Training bird. Training bird. Okay. Maybe magpies are known for their pro- prolific training. Right. And the Ministry of National Defense has allocated a budget of 68.6 billion NT to build these new aircraft. AIDC, prior to this announcement, Taiwan was eyeing an Italian training aircraft and possibly getting hold of a South Korean training aircraft. Probably not much chance of getting hold of the South Korean one due to pressure from China, but mm. the Italian company that makes training jet aircraft was on the top of the list. So the interesting thing here to me is, you know, a couple of weeks ago you guys were discussing uh, the possibility for uh, submarine purchases or de- local development on the show, and I think the conclusion that you made, I think this is a show about a month ago, is that the timeline for submarines is just too far out. The best Taiwan could hope for is 10 to 15 years making the submarines, and that is just not soon enough for Taiwan. Now here's an area where we're saying, once again, uh, the timeline is about 10 years out. Uh, And even then, I mean, these are not actual, uh, you know, uh, uh, supersonic jets that are going to be used uh, in any particular conflict. They're just supersonic jets that are going to be used. they can be. They can be. They can be retrofitted, of course, with missiles and guns and whatever you want to put on an airplane that flies very fast in a direction towards someone that's trying to kill you. But in any event, I mean, it's still a very long timeline. And uh, even more interestingly, when Tai made this announcement, she was not really talking too much about the military needs for these things, Gavin. She was talking about the economic needs for these things. Well, this is all part of President Tsai Ing-wen's basically let's boost industry. And if you boost the defense industry, there'll be a rollover, a domino effect into the private sector industries. You need technology. You've got to buy tech from somewhere, buy tech from tech companies. You need bodies to stand on a production line. You've got bodies to stand in a production line and so on and so forth. It's all part of a boosty economy and the defence mm-hmm. issue is self-reliance in defence and indigenous weapons systems and weapons platforms are all part and parcel of that. And you have to remember that uh, this is what the, 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 the Air Force's F-16s are being upgraded at the moment all 142 of the ones and they're not going to finish being upgraded till 2024. Mm. So, you know, and 2026 for 66 aircraft that's, that's not a bad time frame as far as i'm concerned you've got to remember aidc did build the idf so it has jet fi- jet 
aeroplane technology know-how. Just a couple decades yeah, out of yeah. date. And they already, in fact, believe it or not, AIDC actually came two years ago actually showed off two models of two options for military training aircraft to be built domestically. One of them was based solely on the IDF, and the other one was a slight variant to the current IDF, which is in use in the Air Force. Alrighty. So, uh, very good news if you are an aerospace engineer. Uh, you have one fewer reason to leave Taiwan. So keep, keep that aerospace talent right here, if you please. Moving on to our final story for the broadcast. And last up for the show today, uh, well, we've had a flood of stories on the show today. An absolute torrent of stories, one might say. Uh, but it looks like Taiwan may be facing a drought of, like, water. Like, a drought of, like, a- an actual drought is what we're facing, potentially, Gavin. Not quite of what some might call biblical proportions, but we haven't had a lot of rain recently. And anyone who's lived here knows we haven't had a lot of rain recently. Mm-hmm. And the last time we didn't have a lot of rain recently was a couple of years ago. And that two years to, ago. Oh, yeah, two years ago. That is and a that, couple of that years, led yes. Fair to enough. all sorts of um, problems. Where right. people in certain parts of the country were getting their water pressure lowered overnight. Yeah, I was I was in one of those areas. Or that sometimes their water cut off for, for a few hours, of course. Not just a few hours. It was like a day at a time. There you go. So if you don't want that, you need water, of course. Now, because of lack of rainfall, apparently the Water Resources Agency is going to meet in the coming weeks to discuss whether to impose first-stage water rationing, which is when they lower the pressure at night. Yeah, the Water Resources Agency has said that reserves at the Shuman Reservoir in northern Taiwan, which, there you go, supplies water to parts of northern Taiwan, dropped to 67%, basically, this week. And the Feitui Reservoir in Taipei is at 85% capacity, while the Zhangwen Reservoir in Jai is apparently only at 26% of capacity. So none of that is too alarming uh, Well, 26% yet. a bit well, alarming. Eh? Okay, mean, 26%. That's, that's fairly alarming. Apparently, But yeah. you could bounce back from that. But the, the, the thing that I think is most worrying is that uh, the government is also citing uh, projections for the rainfall for the rest of the year, and that's not looking good either. Yeah, the Central Weather Bureau has not given an optimistic forecast for rainfall in the short term, mm. so the Central Weather Bureau said. So the dryness uh, will continue. So the government are considering now cloud seeding operations mm-hmm. and taking other precautionary measures to head off potential water shortages. It has been pretty striking how no, I can't remember the last time it rained. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been it a very dry winter. It rained yesterday, you clown. Yesterday? <laughs> it rained overnight. <laughs> Did it? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. This is what happens when Keith Mancone's unemployed. He doesn't see... <laughs> I never certain, go outside. He doesn't see certain times of the day. No. Uh, th- this is what happens, yeah. Well, okay, so my... my don't, don't count on me for weather forecasts. I can't even weather postcast. So that's, uh, that's, that's not a strong indication of my skills right there. Uh, Yuan Ming, uh, is, uh, were, were you caught up a couple of years ago? Were you, were you around town when the water rationing came into effect? Yeah, I remember the uh, different stages of the rationing taking place. Um, I also remember last year, um, the rain actually was also a bit late in coming, and there were some projections of problems. But then... Um, the but heavens opened. The heavens opened, and uh, so we could be okay. We could be okay, but uh, means to be seen. Yeah. Well, I have to say, it's the weather, isn't it? Eh? It might rain or not rain. Uh, that's about the best that we but can course, say here in Taiwan. Isn't Ting in a isn't Ting in a state in America that has a water <laughs> rationing problem all the time? Uh, yeah, um, actually, <clears throat> we have been getting a lot of rain the last couple of weeks. Can uh, we have some? <laughs> no, California yeah, needs it. So, um, I mean, I guess this just goes to the fact that. You know, the climate's changing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great 
weather expertise, climate expertise from Ting right there. Climate's changing, I guess, maybe. Who knows? You want to get a, go- you get a job with your current government, mate, with comments <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you might get booted out of the country with that kind of seditious talk. All right. <laughs> so we will wrap up that segment right there and move on to our final bonus podcast story. This is a little bit more salacious news for one day, uh, and it involves an actress from China that is none too happy with a media organization here in Taiwan. But uh, her anger will have to be vented in different ways because her lawsuit seems to uh, have hit the skids. It did. The Taiwan High Court this week rejected an appeal which was filed by Chinese movie star Zhang Ziyi. Of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon fame. Is that what she was in? I, I read that on Wikipedia this morning. So oh, right, okay. I assume and, so. Anyway, she filed... Well, she, she's been in a lot of things since that movie. I think that movie was like almost 20 years ago. Well, the alleg- no. The allegation is a lot of people have been in her. <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. That was gross. Now, she filed a defamation case against Next Media that made allegations that certain high-ranking Chinese officials and generally rich people in China had paid money to have sex with the actress. Mm-hmm. This story was published in 2012, basically. Yeah, it goes back a ways. It goes back a ways. Now, the judge basically said, um, this is the second time this week that the High Court has upheld the ruling. The Sherlin District Court handled the first case. And basically the judge said that the next magazine article in question only cited another publication in its story. There you go. So the next magazine didn't do anything wrong because it said, these people said this. Allegedly, these people said this, that she allegedly did this. So the Mm. judge threw it out. So all I need to do is find uh, the blog post that claims that Ah. Gavin Phipps is a Nazi. Uh, And then I can say, uh, sources say Gavin Phipps is a Nazi. There we go. I'll be seeking 1.65 million NT in damages from you then, Menconi. Is that... your reputation worth 1.56 million? I'm not sure about that. I could get some people together that might say that. I'll, ring, <laughs> I'll get on that website, won't I? That's the important doing thing. Doingjobsforthemob.com. Uh, oh, okay. All right. That, that's a credible threat. I'll now, back hey, You mean doing, doing jobs for the mob, signing up as a KMT member? No, doing. They can job, do other jobs too. Doing jobs for the mob, as in visiting Keith Manconi about <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he, he he wanted to keep the threat vague. Thanks for uh, making him spell that out, Ting. Anyway, Jung was seeking 1.65 million NT in damages and a public apology from Next Magazine. Now, the act, people have said that the actress basically only went ahead with this case. More unnamed sources here, because. Basically, she had a defamation suit against the Borshwin News Agency in December of 2013 for a similar story in which the Chinese publication claimed that Zhang had been paid for sex by China's former Minister of Commerce, Borshi Lai. Mm. Of course, I believe Borshi... I believe it all didn't end happily for Borshi Lai. No. He went... Didn't he get in trouble? He did. He's in jail. Well, there you go. I guess so. There you go. However you might interpret that. I mean, that if that were true, I mean, that would be like at the same level as uh, President Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. That would be like high-level salacious news right there. Oh, that was never news, was it? Because we don't know anything about that. Hush, 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 hush. I, I, think, I think the statute of limitations is over on that one. We can uh, defame whoever we want. 
Um, okay, so that's uh, that's Next Magazine for you, everybody. Uh, Yuan Ming is is uh, Next Magazine as as a uh, honorable reporter who cites all of his sources uh, and somebody who deals in social media. So you know you got to keep the churn going to a certain extent. Is Next Magazine the sort of publication that you would cite willy nilly, or or would you be somewhat cautious about how you cite them? Well, I mean, of course, uh, they're, they they print a lot of. Uh, uh, Titillating, titillating news. Um, mm-hmm. But just uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we had that uh, report from them about the um, uh, the wife beating domestic abuse uh, of the uh, Taipei city councilor, um, and they broke the story. And um, and it they do turned, a lot of good reporting too. Yeah. Turned out to be credible. So so case by case basis is what you're saying. Uh, Ting, Next Magazine, you know, you, you, you run a media organization. Next Magazine, do you have them on your uh, take with a grain of salt list, or, or, or do you think that they're doing a lot of good work as well? I mean, we're not exactly in the same market. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think they do a lot of very good reporting for the style that they do. Um, but, you know, I think, um, I, I think it's kind of like this, right? Like, it doesn't matter what the result of the lawsuit says um i think people are going to believe what they believe and once you you know put a story like that out there um there are going to be some people who are just like you know what like i don't care what the court says you know this sounds about right like i'm just going to believe it um you know especially with so much talk about fake news these days um yeah you know i think i think it's just a sign of the times that you know i think a lot of times we need to, we do need the courts to you know, tell us what is true, and yet, you know, do we really want to give a bunch of judges who, you know, I'm assuming don't read Next Magazine uh, to decide what is, you know, true or not, other than, you know, as opposed to reporters that are out there on the line? Like, I don't really know. All right. So, uh, titillating case, though it may be, uh, we will have to round out the show right there. That is it for today. Please do join us again next time. Time on this week broadcast every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT FM 100, around about 8.15. You can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, a couple of other places as well. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Yes, sayonara. And joined as occasionally by Yuan Ming Chow. Good to see you, Yuan Ming. Thank you very much for having me. And joined as very, very occasionally by Che Ting Ye. Uh, good to have you uh, once again. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. <laughs>